Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, Email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, we are continuing our series of Christmas programs, and today we're going to venture into a genre that I don't think I've really delved into at all in old-time radio. Maybe I played an app extra at some point, but... It's never gone out in an actual generally released podcast, and that genre, of course, is the soap opera. Now, there are a couple reasons why I've not done that. It's generally not my personal favorite thing. But even more than that, the genre involves a lot of ongoing storylines that stretch over weeks, months, and even years. To say that most old-time radio soap operas have significant gaps would be the understatement of the year. Some of the longest-running programs, like Ma Perkins or This Man's Family, have only 1-2% of their episodes in circulation, with episodes scattered throughout uh, very long runs. So you can't really connect one episode to the next. However, the radio soaps were an American institution. They provided thousands of hours of entertainment to millions of Americans from every walk of life. While it's popular to imagine the typical soap opera viewer as a middle-aged white suburban homemaker, soap operas had a much broader appeal. Byron Lewis was the man who bought sounds of the city to the airwaves in 1974. This was an all-black radio soap opera that came to the air during a time that radio drama was having a revival in the United States. Mr. Lewis was 42 at the time. He said, I grew up listening to soap operas. My parents, my aunts, and my grandmother listened to them. Even though they were all white, my family got very involved in them. So soap operas really were a national institution. And yet, uh, probably the thing that stands out most are all of the parodies of the radio soaps that were made in cartoons and uh, even other radio programs. That brings us to today's offering. About a year ago, I came on this program called Christmas Day in America, 1946. And this was a combination program featuring four different soap operas. Not a team-up, understand me. This is not like the soap opera Avengers. But rather, it was a program that contained four different soap opera episodes from popular series that were all sponsored by Procter & Gamble. And there's some linking narration and thematic elements that are kind of worked in throughout the course of the production. And the episodes mostly stand alone. Now, some stuff has clearly happened, and it's very much, you know, in continuity with its series. But there's nothing that's, like, amazingly difficult to figure out, and you need, like, some sort of program guide. So this is a really nice way to get a sampling of of the type of programs that uh, people listen to for all of those years and decades without being absolutely lost in all the continuity. And if you are an old-time radio soap fan and you've not heard this episode, then I think you'll be in for a treat. When I look at, like, commercial sellers and those who link to soap operas, this particular program doesn't get featured. And so you're kind of missing a rare episode if you haven't seen this program. So let's go ahead and briefly list the soaps that we're going to hear on today's uh, broadcast. We're going to start out with Life Can Be Beautiful, which began in 1936 and continued on the air till 1954. 
And then uh, we'll hear Ma Perkins, which ran from 1933 to 1960. And Pepper Young's Family, which ran from 1932 to 1959. And Right to Happiness, which ran from 1939 to 1960. All right, well, this introduction has already choked a horse, so let's go ahead and take a listen to Christmas Day in America, 1946. <laughs> Throughout the year, Procter & Gamble bring you your beloved programs, Life Can Be Beautiful, Ma Perkins, Pepper Young's Family, and The Right to Happiness. Today, Christmas Day, these shows join together to present Christmas Day in America, an hour of entertainment and inspiration. As American as a cake of soap. A pretty apt expression. Not that we Americans invented soap, but we have a very healthy respect for it. We use more than any other nation on earth. We like soap because it keeps us clean. We like soap because it helps keep us healthy. Just one drop of soap in a thousand drops of water is enough to destroy the bacteria that cause pneumonia, diphtheria, influenza. As American as a cake of soap. A comparison to be proud of. It was a small town, and there was sort of a holiday going on. The people of that locality were required to come to the tax collector and pay according to their income. The hotels were crowded. And even if there had been a room available, it would have been at a price too rich for the small purse of the elderly carpenter and his wife, who searched wearily for any kind of accommodations. The husband, a man named Joseph, walked slowly beside the donkey on which his wife rode. Night was coming on. And he must have been discouraged and desperate in spite of his assurances to his wife that surely they would find some place to spend the night. It was agony for them both. Because the woman named Mary was going to have a baby. And when, perhaps aimlessly, they had turned off the main street of Bethlehem, Mary asked Joseph to stop and take her down. The only shelter in sight was a stable. They went in. Mary's baby was born there and lay in a manger. His name was Jesus. This is his birthday. and sometimes bewildered world. Christ is born again. Life is born again. Love and reverence are born again. As though to prove that life can be beautiful, a golden-tinted dawn creeps through New York's night-blanketed canyons. Shafts of light, like the pink tips of sly, awakening fingers, steal through the windows of Park Avenue mansions and of small flats on the Lower East Side. Even on Christmas morning, like a great, lazy giant, the sleeping city awakens reluctantly. The day starts early in the hospital. Chi-Chi's window opens eastward, and so it may be the reflection of the sunrise or the radiance cast by a huge poinsettia on the dresser. Or it may be that some inner glow has warmed the pallor of her cheeks as she waits for the dreaded moment when the nurse will return her son to the nursery. Chi-Chi also has a determined look, and instinctively she draws the little bundle closer in the curve of her arm as the door opens. 
Well, Mrs. Hamilton, I'll take your baby back now. Oh, not yet. Not yet. Oh, look, nurse, you can't. He's asleep. I won't wake him up. But he likes it here with me better than out there with all those other babies. And, and look, he, he's smiling almost, I think. Any facial contortion of a day-old baby, Mrs. Hamilton, is more likely to be a sign of air bubbles than smiling. No, it's almost a smile. Don't take him, please. Besides, it's Christmas. Yes, it is. And this is my Christmas present. Oh, I, I almost forgot. You have a visitor outside in the hall. A visitor? Who is it? That old gentleman who was here before. Oh, Papa David. I'll take your baby back to the nursery and tell him he can come in for a few minutes. You mean you want to you want to take him away before Papa David can see him? Oh my gosh, no, please, Miss. He's almost like my baby's grandfather. Oh, all right, don't get excited, but don't let him come near the baby. Well, Papa David's sanitary, and don't talk much. I'll let you have the baby for a few minutes longer. You may come in now. Oh, thank you. Come on in, Papa David. A blessed Merry Christmas to you, Chicha. Merry Christmas to you. Oh, God bless you, lady. What do you think of my son? Oh, God has blessed you, lady. And me, too, permitting me to live long enough to fill my old eyes up with a picture of you lying there so beautiful with you, baby. You, uh, you think he looks like Stephen? Oh, what's a more beautiful sight than a mama and her baby? Well, I guess he don't really look like anybody yet. I'll drop in after a little while, Mrs. Hamilton, and then I'll have to take the baby to the nursery. I, I wish Steve could see him. Yeah. I, I did all right, didn't I? The baby came just when, just when Steve hoped it would. Just in time for Christmas. He used to say he was going to bring it in to me with a big red ribbon tied around it like a Christmas present. But I guess the nurse wouldn't have let him do it anyway. The ribbon might not be sanitized. No, no, no. Don't be depressed. It's a today is Christmas. You've got to be merry. Well, anyhow, not depressed. Yeah. Papa David. Uh-huh. Remember right after I first came to the bookshop to live with you how you used to read to me out of the Bible all about... How Christ was born. Yeah. I remember how you said I wasn't Jewish, I was a Christian, and I'd have to know all about Christ. Even so, when the angel said, Tidings of great joy, he also said, Which shall be for all people. You remember? Mm -hmm. I always used to like that part about Mary, his mother. But the Bible doesn't say much about it. It, it says, Mary kept all these things. All about the angels and the shepherds and all that, and, and pondered them in her heart. Oh, so now you understand pondering. Well, huh? I used to wonder what she really thought about. She must have been awful scared. Do you think she was, Papa David? Do you think she was scared? Oh, she knew her responsibilities. There's a chapter in the Bible by St. Luke and one by St. Matthew and St. John and all those others, all about Christ, how he was born and grew up. But do you know what I wish? I wish there was a book in the Bible that had been written by Mary. She must have been awful proud. Instead of proud, I think humble. Well, can't people be proud and humble at the same time? I am. I'm, I'm proud to have a son, Stephen's son, but I'm humble because... Well, right here in my arms, Papa David, is, is a whole life, a, a new life. It's kind of hard to say what I mean, but you know what I'm trying to say. Have I ever been a mama? Maybe he hasn't got a father, so... I'm father and mother for him. What I do for him and with him, how how I treat him, and they decide whether he's going to be a big man or, or not a big man. And that's why I'm humble. Situation, I'm proud to be almost like a papa to you. The fineness of you showing up in distress of adversity and having such thoughts. One of the things that kind of scares me is that I, I'm still sort of harem scarum and... I guess I always will be. Maybe my son won't like a harem scarum mother. God, with two such names, Stephen and David, how could he help loving you? <laughs> if Steve was here, it'd be different. I, I've always been sort of a pop-off, and Steve wasn't. He always thought things out, and so together we made a pretty good team. Now it's all up to me. That's what I'm pondering about. Just love you, baby, that's it, sir. Love him and let him know that you love him. 
Is that all? Well, then, how it's a good start. The nurse says my baby's the best one in the hospital. She did? Well, anyhow, she didn't argue with me when I said it. Ah, well, any mama who's thinking her baby ain't the best, she ain't deserving of having a baby. What I'm really trying to say, Papa yeah, David... I know, I know. You do? Mm-hmm. Well, then maybe you can say it for me better than I can. Well, you're glad that Christ was born a baby. Uh-huh. Instead of coming into the world in a chariot with trumpets blowing and acting like a king with ointment. Uh-huh. You're glad that Mary had a baby because you understand Mary now. And you're beginning to understand that everything that's big was once small. That greatness grows like a flower. And that the truest king, the most understandable expression of a kind and loving God, was a baby. A son who grows to be a fine man, who through all the centuries, all people, like the angel said, all people, revere and love. Yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to say. Well, being a mama like Mary was, having a baby like the Christ child was, the story in the Bible ain't just a story, it's real. <laughs> By understanding Mary, you got a better understanding of Christ. Yeah. And you know something else? I'm awful glad my son was born almost right on Christmas for another reason, too. On Christmas from now on for the rest of my life, every year I'll have a Christmas present from Stephen. First, like now, a little baby, and then after a while, a fine boy, and, and then a man. Every year it'll be almost like Stephen will be giving him to me all over again. Yes, and God grant that his life will be beautiful, Chichi. It, it really can be, can't it, Papa Dave? Yeah, God's greatest miracle, Chichi, is life. And he made it beautiful. And it can be beautiful and will be if we let God have his way. Well, I'm going to try to because, oh my gosh, I hope my son's life can be beautiful. <laughs> Because Christ was born of Mary, was a baby, and stage by stage grew to manhood, there are three kinds of people who should understand him and see in each Christmas the full significance of the rebirth of life. One, fathers. Two, mothers. Three, all those who have been born. But let's not forget that the rebirth of life isn't the only yearly miracle. What is more inspiring is that with each Christmas comes the rebirth of the conviction that life can be beautiful. There was considerable farm and grazing land around Bethlehem. Shepherds spent the nights in the fields with their flocks to protect them from wildlife and from thieves. They sat around and talked, as men will, when there's nothing else to do. Talked about taxes, politics, religion. They grumbled about conditions and probably speculated as to when their promised king might take over. Some may have doubted the prophecies. Others insisted that deliverance would come. And some, like people we know, said, Well, I don't know. Maybe... Maybe not. Suddenly, something happened. St. Luke says the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. What form the angel took, and what kind of light shattered the darkness, we can only guess. The shepherds were afraid. We like to think that we are more sophisticated than they, and yet how often have we seen people terrified by an electrical storm or the black fury of a hurricane. The shepherds fell on their faces and trembled, probably crying out, What is going to become of us and of our sheep? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ. The Lord. Then the shepherds must have said to each other, 
when, where, and how. This shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. must have taken the shepherds a little while to collect their wits, and probably there was a great deal of argument. A babe in a manger? What can a baby do for us? Some said, let's go to Bethlehem, and others chimed in, yes, let's see this thing which has come to pass. Let's see what the Lord has told us is there. Then they hurried. They must have had to search for the place, because there were many stables and mangers in the town. What was in the minds of those men as they stood or knelt and peered into the feeding box of the ox stable and saw a newborn baby? Did they have a glimmering of the truth that a new idea was born? A new conception of men's relationship to God and to each other? Goodwill toward men, the angel had said. Instead of being a stern Jehovah, did God so love the world that he gave his son? Love was born on that first Christmas, and on every Christmas since then, love has been born again. Large cities seem to be essential in man's scheme of things. Cities where stones and steel girders are piled to dizzy heights. But look for the real America in smaller places. A city has a heart, but a town has a soul. Rushville Center lies snow-blanketed and sparkling, like a picture on a favorite calendar. Here homes are not stacked story on story, but spread comfortably apart, each a little world of its own. Yet neighborly footprints in the snow linked them as though families had joined hands and circled the white steepled church in the square. There's the nostalgic scent of burning wood as smoke curls from cheery log fires. In Ma Perkins' home, Ma and Faye stood proudly by, chuckling warmly as a wee girl's eyes and mouth opened wide like huge zeros because of the most wonderful Christmas tree in all the world. Of course, neither Ma nor Faye nor Shuffle and Willie got any credit at all for the hours they had spent in Ma's living room last night, long after a curly head was on its pillow and a small girl was fast asleep. Nor did they want any. As far as little girls are concerned, Christmas trees just materialize out of thin air on Christmas morning. And that's the way it should be. For a moment, Paulette was speechless, and there was no sound in the room except the joyful bell in the church steeple. Under the tree, shall we? Oh, yes, yes. Here, here, Grandma. You help me. Will you? Yeah, of course I'll help you. Oh, of course I will. Oh, you're a wonderful doll. Close your eyes now and sleep. Oh, that's what Christmas means. It means love. Just as every day is a fresh beginning and every morning the world is made new, with Christmas comes the true understanding of the rebirth of love. Let's bow our head, child, and say a little Christmas prayer. Oh, God, we thank thee. 
We thank thee for another glorious Christmas. I thank thee for sparing me and for sparing those who are near and dear to me. For making it possible for all of us to be together on this thy day. The day of the birth of thy son, Jesus Christ. The day thou sent the one nearest and dearest to thee, to this earth, that he might suffer and die, so that sinners might be saved. For thou hast said, he that sins must die. And thou sent thy Son to die for others, that those of us who sin might be saved, to come into thy kingdom, and to know the beauties and bounties of thy love. Oh, God, if only those of us who don't understand can see how simple it is to be saved. Because thou in thy great love hast prepared the way made it all so simple, so easy, and so glorious to follow. No longer is it necessary to die because we have sinned. All that's necessary is to kneel down and confess our sins, to repent and become as a little child again, pure-hearted, contrite, and humble. And it is then, and only then, that we can realize the true beauty of thy divine providence. All that thou hast done for us. The beauty of thy love. The love of our fellow man. And our love for him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ma. Yeah, love. Love for fellow men, goodwill toward all, can be born and reborn again. And it should be. For love purges the bad thoughts that creep into our minds. It cleanses the heart. It purifies our lives. And through continuously realizing that there is such a thing as love in the world, love for God and all that he created, it makes us as we should be, like that precious baby sitting there, pure in mind, pure in thought, and we become as God would have us, as little children again, freed of animosity, hatred, and pettiness. For where there is light, there can be no darkness. Where there is love, love for fellow man. There can be no evil. Oh, Grandma, Mommy, look. Hmm? She's asleep. Isn't she a pretty doll when she's asleep? Isn't she with her eyes closed? Oh, oh she's beautiful. Just beautiful, precious. Oh, and I love her so. I love my new doll so. And I love you, Mommy. I love Grandma. I, I just oh, love everybody. That's it, I mean, Faith. That's what I mean. Well, Ma, I've got the cranberries already. Yes? The celery and olives are already in the refrigerator. Oh, wonderful. I've got the table set and I... Oh, Ma. My, what a beautiful job you've done on the turkey. How wonderfully you've stuffed it and trussed it. If that isn't a picture, that big turkey in that pan. It's all ready to go into the oven after we come back from church. Goodness, Ma, I never had any idea the turkey was that big. Do you think it'll get done in time? Oh, yes, it'll get done all right. We aren't going to eat until late. The Pendletons had a previous engagement. The Pendletons? Yes, they have to go by the Fairchilds first. But I told Matilda that we'd arrange dinner so they could be here. You mean they're bringing Mr. Bryant? Yes. Pricey. Well, didn't Mr. Cunningham warn you about Mr. Bryant's coming here? What did Mr. Colby find out who he is? 
Well, if he comes at the Pendletons, there's no reason for Mr. Colby or anybody else to think he's anyone but a friend of theirs. And as good a friend as Mr. Bryant's been, I wouldn't think of sitting down to Christmas dinner without him at the table. Mr. Colby or no Mr. Colby, it's Christmas. And when all of us sit down at the table, Mr. Bryant is going to be here with us. We'll think about Mr. Colby tomorrow. Oh, well, i better go put another leaf in the table. And oh, I'm sorry. Extra. I didn't tell you before, honey. That was Matilda who called while you were in the dining room, and she said they'd just gotten in touch with the Fairchilds to arrange it. Paula, to be down just a minute or so. Well, did you have a good Christmas, Junior? Oh, I had a swell Christmas, Grandma. Here, I'll get the door, Evie. Oh, you want to see all the swell things I got? Oh, I want to. And tonight, after dinner, we go back home with you and see them. <gasps> Junior, I just can't get over how handsome you look in your military academy uniform. <laughs> oh, turn around. Just let me feast my eyes on you. Oh, that ain't the way to do it. Let me help out here. Can, can... Now, face. <laughs> oh, my, how military. Oh, Willie gets the biggest kick out of drilling him, Ma. Oh, he just looks grand in that, you know. And, Ma, look at his shoes. Look at them. Yes, Aren't they please. polished like the mirror on the wall? <laughs> Turn around so Ma can see him. I mean, uh, bow, face. Oh, Willie. <laughs> well, it just shine like a new dollar. And he shines them like that himself, I'll have you know. He never did that before he went to military oh. academy. Boy, I'll say. I'm telling you, we're proud of this soldier of ours, Ma. You've got good mm-hmm. reason to be. And I am, too. <laughs> See, I'll bet that shuffle. I'll get it, Mom. Oh, thank oh, you. Oh, I forgot. At ease, Junior. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Oh, here come Aunt Faye and Paulette. Oh, Merry Christmas, Aunt Faye. Merry Christmas, Paulette. Merry Christmas, Aunt Faye. Yes, little Paulette came near to expressing the very essence of the Christmas spirit when she said, I love everybody. Christ himself said that many times and in many ways. There is hope for the world when, on at least one day each year, love in its broadest and fullest sense, love is born again. Perhaps as you and your family gather around the Christmas tree today, the conversation will drift back to where you were and what you did on other Christmas days. Well, that's the sort of reminiscing the Procter & Gamble Company likes to go in for, too. Actually, the company's first Christmas took place far beyond the memory of the oldest employee. It was 110 years ago, in 1837 to be exact, just a few months after William Procter and James Gamble had joined forces in Cincinnati, Ohio, to start a small soap-making business. In those days, the two young men trundled their wares through the streets in a wheelbarrow, displaying them to women who had always made their own soap. Today, on our 110th Christmas, the picture is greatly changed. Company headquarters remain on the same spot as that first small store, but Procter & Gamble products are known all over the world. Yes, the picture has changed, but our policy through the years has not that we will continue always making better products for you. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company.
thousand years ago, scientists, scholars, and students were known as wise men. They knew the laws, the prophecies, and the stars. On that night when Jesus was born, the wise men saw a new, strange, and brilliant star. They needed no heavenly hosts singing Alleluia. They knew that Israel had a king. They went to see Herod at Jerusalem. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? King? King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. Uh, a star? Where is he? We have come to worship him. What makes you think this, this king is in this region? It is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. I see. Then uh, go to Bethlehem and search for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, so that I may come and worship him. It isn't likely that the wise men really believed that Herod would worship a king of Israel, but they didn't stop to argue the point. They followed the star to Bethlehem, and when it stood over the stable, they went in. We might expect that such learned men would have hedged a little. One might have said, now wait a minute, what proof have you? Or another could have said, how do we know this child is our king? Even the more devout among them might have said, let's wait and see what happens before we accept him. But no, they fell down and worshipped him. They didn't kneel reluctantly or only on one knee. They fell and worshipped. They gave him gifts, royal gold, frankincense, incense of the sanctuary, and myrrh, a kingly perfume. But of all the gifts of the Magi, the greatest was reverence. As Christmas comes to us again, it reminds us that with Christ, reverence is born again. satisfying. Any way you look at it, it's a, it's a round day filled with many moods. Dawn, like the beginning of life itself. The awakening and early patter of slippered feet. The thrill of exchanging mysteriously wrapped gifts. Then church. For after all, it is Christ's birthday. Then dinner with all the fixings. And finally alone. A quiet time when excitement fades to contemplation. And contemplation leads to reverence. It's Christmas afternoon in the young home. Two, well, all the presents have been opened. The dinner is finished. And all the family has returned to the living room where Mrs. Young awaits her grandson Hal's awakening from his nap. He's been put outside in his baby carriage on the porch, even though the day is crisp. Inside, a big fire is burning on the hearth. Well, I must say that after all the excitement today and after that dinner I tucked away, I could do with 40 winks. Well, you're not going to have 40 winks, Sam Young, hmm. with all of us here. You're going to stay awake and entertain us. Hmm, I'll have to do my best then. But I'm uh, certainly equipped for sleeping. What with these new slippers you gave me and a new dressing gown. Say nothing of half a dozen detective stories to take to my lair. Oh, but you can't take a nap now, Daddy. How will be awake in a few minutes? Listen, I've been hearing that for the last hour. When does that young fellow wake up? And why, while he sleeps, can't I take a nap? <laughs> Particularly with Andy and Edie having gone out for a walk and Pepper and Linda having gone out for a walk. Why, but by the time they come back, I'll be as bright as a button again. Uh-oh, I think that's Pepper and Linda. I saw them coming up on the porch. Hello, Hi. children. Did you enjoy your walk? Oh, we had a lovely walk. It's wonderful out. It's so cold. Say, Peg, did you know your son's waking up out there on the porch? Oh, is he, Linda? Well, it's about time. I'll help bring him in, dear. Uh, uh, we'll go, too. All right, come on. Let's get him. Okay, here. Here, let me open the door. 
Hello, darling. Hello, Hal. Yes, your mom's right here. And so's your daddy, too. Can you say, Daddy, on Christmas Day? Oh. Oh. Isn't it wonderful the way he says that? Isn't he the smartest baby in the world? And the fattest. I'll carry him then, Peggy. Come on in, young fella. Uh, hey, you've got a lot of toys inside waiting for you to play with. And your family's going to sit around and admire you. Ah, uh, yes. I can't think of anything nicer than that. Oh, here comes Edie and Andy. Gosh, he's wonderful. Yeah, and I see him with a new interest now that I know I'm going to have a son and heir of my own, or a daughter and heiress. <laughs> you know, I can't get used to the idea. When Edie told me about it, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I know exactly how you feel, Andy. It happens to other people, but it doesn't seem that it could possibly happen to you. That's right, Carter. Well, come on, come on, everybody. Let's go back into the house. Okay, yeah. let's go. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Hi, children. Hi there. Feel any better? Yes. Sure do. Uh, Give me that precious baby. Give him to me this minute. His granny wants. Baby. Don't take his cap and his snowsuit off right here in front of the Christmas tree. Baby. <laughs> Look at his eyes. He's the Christmas tree. <laughs> Say, he's got a chuckle like an old man. I bet he likes that football I gave him better than any of his other things. Oh, I don't know. I think he likes the clown. Now, wait a minute. I'll bet he goes for that fire engine. Now, wait a minute, children. We'll settle this in very short order. Come on, darling. I'm going to sit you right down there on the floor, and we're going to put all your presents around you and see which one you like best. Now, here's the football your Uncle Pepper gave you. Listen, here's the beautiful teddy bear I gave you. And here's the clown that Edie gave you. And here's your daddy's fire engine. Let's just leave him alone and see which one he really wants. That's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Of all the presents, let's see which one he chooses, huh? Oh, my daddy. Look, I think he's crawling over to the football, Pepper. Look, he's crawling over to the football. Oh, for Christ, he's crawled right by. What do you know about? I hope he's not going to try to pull anything off the Christmas tree. Oh, I hope not. Look at him. Just a piece of tissue tape. Well, that isn't a commentary on all presents. The fact that a young fellow only one year old, when confronted with a circle of gifts, chooses a piece of tissue paper to play with. Oh, nice. Think of having a husband like Sam. Hey, come now, Mary. You mustn't overdo this I thing, you know. I couldn't overdo it, darling. And the nicest son and daughter like Pepper and Linda. And the nicest daughter and son like Peggy and Carter. And the nicest adopted children like Edie and Andy. Oh, and the you. nicest friend like Harry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's quite a toast. Now, do you know what I'd like to hear? What, dear? I'd like to hear you kids sing sitting around the fire. You know how I like to hear you sing. Linda, will you lead them? Sure, uh, Father. Yeah, what do we sing? What song did you like best to hear when you were overseas, Andy? And you too, Carter. Well, well I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I'd sort of like to hear that. Yeah, me too. It's, well, it's the song that meant most to me when I was way off there in the jungles of the South Pacific. All right, that's it. Linda, you start it. All you? right. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Yeah. 
That was lovely. And now I'd like to propose another toast. I'd like to drink a toast to you, Mrs. Young. To me? Well, my goodness, why should you drink a toast to me, dear? Yeah, to you and to Mr. Young both. Because you've got the kind of a home that all of us want to come to so much on Christmas Day. All right. Andy, what a nice thing to say. That was a swell toast, and he's got something there. As a matter of fact, this war was fought so that our way of life could continue. And when you stand here in this room today, and you look around and see the Christmas tree and the toys under it, and the baby, and the fire on the hearth, and all of us here, well, you know that the American way of life is continuing. And it's going to continue. Thank God. You mean so that those who fought and died for us haven't died in vain? That's just what I mean, Mother Young. Yes, Andy, I know. And because today is Christmas, and Christmas should have a special meaning, I believe, for everybody... We mustn't forget that underneath our gaiety, underneath the fun of opening presents, of getting together in a group of family and friends like this, there lies the deeper meaning of Christmas. In our hearts, we know this. And we should feel the reverence of this day. Yes, Mother Young. I know what you mean. I never used to know. My family never felt that way. Christmas was, well, just a day of parties. But being here... In this house today, I know that it's more. It is a day of reverence. Thank you, Carter. So, I'm not going to propose another toast. Instead, I'd like to say a little prayer just now at this minute. A little prayer for all the families of those boys who gave their lives so that we may continue our lives in the way those boys wanted us to continue it. And so that God will fill their families' hearts with love and pride for the courage those boys had to make the supreme sacrifice so that we may be here today, so that we may have a world which they would have come back to with so much happiness in their hearts, for making their supreme sacrifice worthwhile, for making the American way of life continue, for letting our homes remain standing, and for granting us an opportunity to make this a better world for everyone to live in, so that there need never again be a war, so that there need never again be the terrible loss of life. That's what they've done for us, made all this possible. Bless them, and bless their memories all. As in the Young's home on this Christmas afternoon, many families turn their thoughts today to those who made this peaceful Christmas possible, who made this way of life possible, who made the bright hope possible that there may never again be another war to fight, and that all peoples of the world will live in unity, that there will always be peace on earth and goodwill among men. Christmas, with its annual rebirth of life, love, and reverence, is mankind's opportunity to do as the wise men did, kneel and worship. When the angel told the shepherds about the birth of Christ, his first words were, I bring you tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Words which inspired Isaac Watts to write, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And then, something very important happened. The angel said, Fear not. That was a new idea. Man had always feared what they thought was a vengeful God. Christ said no. God is love, and he proved it. He sanctified birth. He glorified motherhood. He showed us the poverty of riches and the richness of poverty. He scorned pomp and pride. He honored humility. 
He suffered to show that a stout spirit could overcome pain. And then he died to remove man's fear of death. In my father's house, he said, are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And so the grave lost its victory and death was without fear. Fear not. Joy to the world. On every Christmas, Christ is born again. The white beauty of a large, imposing building rises above the homes and shops around it. Its lighted windows and the quiet but never-ceasing activity on this Christmas night is a point of reminder that not all people are blessed with happy, carefree firesides today. A pair of lighted Christmas trees stand outside the main doorway. Holly wreaths hang in many of the windows. The corridors are ablaze with light, bright and festive with greens, ribbons, and mistletoe. Christmas is wherever there are people, and Christ is born again wherever there are aching hearts. Just inside the door is a plaque which reads, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, perhaps it's the reflection from the Christmas tree lights, but tonight it seems to glow with new brilliance as though to say that Christ's mercy is born again too. fourth floor seems oblivious to the smiling greetings of those who pass her by, oblivious to the lighted tree in the corner, oblivious too to Dr. Dick Campbell coming down the corridor. Not until the doctor stands beside her does she seem to notice him at all. I've been talking with your son and your new daughter-in-law, Mrs. Edwards. Yes, Dr. Campbell. Don told me this was the first Christmas your family's been together for four years. Yes, it is. And you should be very happy having him home from Germany now. And just married to a girl like Louise. They're so young and enthusiastic. So very much in love. I know, Doctor. You're, you're quite sure my husband will recover, Doctor. I wouldn't get your hopes up this way unless I were, Mrs. Edwards. Roland was a very sick man. Two days ago, we'd almost given up hope for him. Almost. Not entirely. And now he's going to get well. Go home. Yes, he's a very strong man. His strength and his will were all that pulled him through. <laughs> hmm? His strength and his will pulled him through. You must forgive me for laughing. That's very funny. I gave him the will to live, Doctor. I believe you did. By going to him the night before last and making him a promise. A promise I would keep if he survived. And now it seems I shall have to keep that promise. It's all very confusing and very funny. Well, Mrs. Edwards, I'm... I'm afraid I don't understand. My promise and what led up to it has been our secret. Roland's and mine. Not even our boy Don knows of it. We kept it from him all these years. The truth of the matter is, Doctor, that the... The same strength and iron, inflexible will that have saved my husband's life... Have made my life a perfect misery... A kind of purgatory. For more years than I care to remember. We kept our home together only for Don's sake. Until he was grown and married. Until he had a home of his own and ours might not be so important to him. When Roland took sick a few days after Don was married, two weeks ago, we were on the verge of parting. The night before last, you were afraid. I was afraid the end had come for Roland. He asked me to promise to stay with him if he should live. I couldn't refuse him then, not then. So I promised. And now you see why I laughed. Yes, perhaps. I wanted him to live, Doctor. Don't misunderstand me there. I wanted him to live. But he drove a hard, cruel bargain, knowing I wouldn't let him die if I could help it. There's no love or misunderstanding in him. There's only selfishness, intolerance, cruelty, and a supreme egotism. He must have been delirious to exact that promise from me. I don't know why he did it. (laughs) 
our patients and their families are enjoying the Christmas broadcasts. I'm glad some people can be happy today. Yes. I think you can see your husband now, uh, this way, Mrs. Edwards. Yes. The door's open, Mrs. Edwards. Yes. And thank you, Dr. Campbell. You're the one responsible, Mrs. Edwards. Roland? Martha? They just told me. <laughs> I know. You're smiling. It's good to know there will be other Christmases. Other years, Martha? Yes. Come here. Sit down beside my bed. My voice won't carry. I'm glad you've turned the corner, Roland. I want to tell you something. Here, Martha. Very well. I'm... Uh, I'm sorry you don't share the children's elation. But I do. You didn't want me to go, I know that. But neither should I have taken advantage in exacting that promise from you. You're still smiling. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm releasing you from the promise you made me. You are free to do whatever you choose. Free? Free of me. Free to have a home of your own. I hope it will be a happy home for your mother. A home where selfishness and intolerance and cruelty have no place. It's what you have wanted for years. You can call it my Christmas present to you. You knew this was what I wanted. How could I help but know? Yet it isn't what you wanted the other night. Why are you doing it, Roland? I thought I was going to die. I was afraid. Afraid to die. That's why I made you promise. Then I began to think. I knew it was Christmas. I heard the music. I thought more about Christ's death than his birth. Because I was dying. He wasn't afraid. Then it came to me that I didn't know how to die because I had never known how to live. I've been selfish and cruel. I've lost sight of the fact that no one can live happily dominated by another. And I've dominated you, Mother. My will has been law. My will has been your will. Perhaps it's too late for me to change now. There is no place in Christ's world for anything but generosity, kindness, goodwill to all. Perhaps I can translate that into my life by trying now to understand. I'm sorry for all the unhappy years I've given you, Mother. I hope... I hope you will be happier without me. You spoke of the Christmas spirit. You might call it that. A rebirth of that spirit. A reawakening. You've never been a religious man. One doesn't have to be. But when one comes as close to the end as I was, well, you realize it's about time you changed. I'm not asking forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's part of his teachings, too. I... Uh... Who can say it's too late? Who can say that? You've changed, Roland. You've changed. I, uh... Well, I... I like to think I have. Perhaps there's time for us both to change. Oh, Roland, maybe I've been at fault, too. Perhaps I haven't tried to understand either. Because I've seen something in you just now, today, I'd forgotten was there. 
It was there once, Roland, many years ago. The understanding, the love. And it's there now, again. If we both try, not only now, but always, can't we both find the spirit we seem to have forgotten? Mother, because I... that's what I want. I know it now. And so I refuse the present you've tried to give me. I don't want my freedom now, Roland. I don't want it. Merry Christmas, my dear. Merry Christmas. The miracle of Christ's birth was hardly more significant than the annual miracle of his rebirth in man's heart and mind. Fear not. Fear not death. Fear not life. Unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Merry Christmas, everybody, to each and every one of you who join us for these programs. You know, your loyalty and above all your interest is something we deeply appreciate. Many of you even take the trouble to write us about the broadcasts and about the products that sponsor them. The glimpses of your homes and families these letters afford are mighty heartwarming. We're proud to rate friendships such as these. So from the bottom of our hearts to all of you, wherever you may be, our best wishes for a very happy day. on today's Procter & Gamble Christmas Hour was written by Carl Bixby. Original music composed and conducted by Charles Paul. The overall program was directed by Oliver Barber. And your narrator is Ron Rawson. In closing this hour, we would like to have you remember these four lines of a verse by Phillips Brooks. The earth has grown old with its burden of care, but at Christmas it always is young. The heart of the jewel burns lustrous and fair, and its soul, full of music, breaks forth on the air when the song of the angels is sung. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome back. Well, definitely a very reverent tone to the proceedings, as well as a lot of really heartfelt moments. Some of it may have been played a little big, but, you know, that is kind of the nature of the soap opera. This was only the second Christmas after the end of World War II, which I think is reflected in these episodes. Part in Pepper Young's family where a prayer was said for those who had died in the war was particularly moving. It also, you know, once again with Ozzy and Harriet, provides a contrast in how Christmas was observed in at least certain parts of the United States, as opposed to how it's done now. As a relatively new parent, I found the way babies were handled to be fascinating. Of course, the idea of the baby being taken away and the mom having to, you know, cajole the nurse for some more time was not uh, too uncommon. It was, you know, still pretty much standard operating procedure when I was born. They took me from my mom and put me in the little nursery area. And I've been to a few hospitals when I was a child and teenager. And saw a few of those, and, you know, it's a cute, was a cute display. You know, you have like a dozen or so babies in a maternity ward, and you can just kind of look at all the babies. But things are radically different 
with babies today. When my son was born, he may have left the room once in all the time he was in the hospital. And not for all that long, because they've kind of come around to the idea that as long as the baby's healthy, you know, doesn't need incubator care or anything like that, it's best for mother and baby to be together. I have to admit that the seated Pepper Youngs family where they had the baby taking a nap outside in his carriage, uh, even though it was a cold day out. I actually went back and re-listened to that part because I thought maybe I'd misheard him. Maybe it was like a sun porch or something like that. But no, they said he was outside on the porch, which I don't uh, fully understand. I mean, maybe it's because the house was full of people. And so if you put the baby out on the porch to nap, the baby's not going to be as disturbed by all of the sounds in the house. I don't know if this is a common practice anywhere in the United States. I found it curious. The only episode I really got curious in terms of plot details was Life Can Be Beautiful. Because it was unclear to me what was status of Steve. I thought he was probably dead, but then I read a Wikipedia article that stated that Chi-Chi and Stephen had been uh, briefly married in 1944, which implied that the marriage had not lasted. But then I checked on Radio Gold Index and I saw that uh, some other episodes from the 40s referenced Stephen as being dead. However, some later episodes from the 50s referenced him being alive. And then I remembered, this is a soap opera we're dealing with. So the whole life and death thing is really relative and I probably should not have worried myself about it. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed that. This will probably be the only time we do anything soap opera related. To either your sorrow or elation, depending on your perspective. Uh, we'll be back with more uh, Christmas programs tomorrow. If you do have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.